Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, March 24th edition of Bang the Book Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. We'll be on here for eh, 30, 35 minutes, something like that, with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll chat some NFL free agency, the trade market, everything going on out there with the NFL futures odds. But we're going to spend a lot of time on today's show talking about horse racing, how to look through the program, how to gauge past performances, some of the bet types and some of the other things that you want to be looking for out there. Because, look, there's not a whole lot to bet on right now. Horse racing still going relatively strong. Hopefully we sustain that. But we'll talk some horse racing on today's show as well. And been talking some horse racing over at bangthebook.com. Hit the daily double for the Fairground Oaks and also the the Louisiana Derby over the weekend. So hopefully you read those and got involved with those. We'll be doing some more horse racing stuff here throughout the week and in the subsequent weeks here as well. Run up some stuff on the AFC and NFC division odds. Early college football games of the year have been posted out there at Bet Online Sportsbooks. Some of the New Jersey sportsbooks have them as well. So I wrote that up over at the website. So trying to keep busy, trying to find stuff to talk about. Talked about a lot on yesterday's edition of the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast. So make sure you check that out as well. And finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code 100% deposit match bonus for the sports book 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at bet DSI. It's only a game until you bet it. One guest joins me here as he always does on Tuesdays. That is Brian blessing of Sportsbook radio and Vegas hockey hotline. Brian, how's it going today, man? Another day, my friend. It is. It is. <laughs> Just, Another you know, day of uh, what's become our new normal, I guess. Uh, the new normal. Uh, you and I getting ready to start doing this uh, for some reason. We're having some internet issues that I think uh, in the valley here, they're in Vegas, they're working on this, and it's like it's been sporadic and intermittent, and they're, you know, whatever. It's great though. The one thing you got to, you know, keep your sanity and keep in touch is even taking a little hit out here for. I'm sure it'll be just a little bit, but an odd morning. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and I got to say, I mean, obviously I know that locals out there just uh, try to avoid the strip unless they absolutely have to go there. But all these images of the empty strip, man, and like the, the ducks from the Bellagio fountains are just walking around at the entrance to Paris, walking around all over the place. It's surreal to see these images, man. Yeah. I mean, and from a Vegas perspective, it's going to be really Really something to see how the impact of this even look, you know, four months down the road. Let's see. Okay, knock on wood. This thing whittles its way down. We're all safe. We're all healthy. But just your normal daily existence, I mean, every little facet of what you do on a daily basis, and then you're going to have, you know, how long is it going to take people to say, okay, I'm going to hop in a plane and go somewhere. Uh, so, you know, how that's going to impact Vegas in time and how, how long all this will take to come back. I mean, there, there's no doubt it's an event destination locale, but that that's another thing on the back end. So there, there's a long road to hoe here. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, obviously a lot of talk about maybe bailing out the casino industry. We know Caesars has been having issues with that proposed merger with El Dorado and how Caesars, their value is just in the tank. MGM, their stock's been bouncing around. We all know Penn National's been down quite a bit. Uh, it's, it's crazy times now in the industry for everybody. It's it's not just the sports side, you know, where you and I are with, you know, everything pretty much being down right now, but just 
all these casinos being closed, we never thought we'd see the day that would happen. Uh, a lot of people struggling out there and, and definitely, you know, our thoughts with everybody that's having a hard time here, uh, you know, on behalf of bang the book, but it's just, it's, it, it's again, I keep going back to that word, man, just surreal. I love Vegas. I go out there two, three times a year. I'm going to go out there as soon as I possibly can once again, but it's just crazy to see those places empty and dark and, you know, the, the signs out front, you know, messages of hope as opposed to advertising shows and residencies. It's, uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It puts into perspective how much shit I've taken for granted, you know, not just with my life in general, but especially with those trips out there to Vegas. Well, if you want the oddest thing of all of it, uh, you know, when you're uh, on the strip, and that's pretty much where they are most of the time, those it's like uh, not a flatbed truck, but it's a truck that's got the LED board on it that drives around and has all the, you know, promoting all kinds of things. There's about 50 of them driving around down there. I mean, they're driving around, and the message on the thing is stay home. Wow. That's, wow. I, I guess there's, there's really nothing that puts it more in perspective than that. I mean, you know, they're advertising for escort services usually, and, and now it's just you know, stay home. And, and again, uh, you know, hopefully this is uh, something that's shorter than it is longer, but I guess we'll kind of wait and see how everything plays out. And, uh, you know, look, I got to say this March has been a very long year so far, but at least there's been a lot that's <laughs> gone on yeah. with regards to the NFL side of things, free agency trades, transactions, futures, odds, moving around all sorts of different stuff. We talked about a lot of things last week, but then of course, a lot more news kept breaking throughout the day on Tuesday and you got uh, one this morning changing. Yeah. Another <laughs> one this morning with Cam Newton. Um, you know what? I will say this, man. I mean, you know, with so much focus and emphasis on the NFL, everyone's going to be ready for the season and those futures markets should be rather robust. Oh, I listen. Um, a lot of places have been doing, starting to do stuff and it's circus sports, uh, whatever it was last Monday or over the weekend, they put out NFL season win totals and odds to win the division. And, you know, wow, okay, we got something to talk about. Uh, yesterday, about 15 hours ago, uh, they put out Tom Brady regular season stats, 4,200 and a half yards. Uh, regular season touchdown passes, 29 and a half. Regular season interceptions, eight and a half. Regular season rushing yards, 19 and a half. Uh, regular season touchdowns, over under one and a half plus a dollar fifty. I take a, I take a flyer on that one. I would take the over at plus a dollar fifty. Uh, th- there's no one better at the quarterback sneak, uh, or has been better at that in the last uh, fifteen or sixteen years or whatever the hell we're dealing with with him. No one's been better at that than him. He walks up, quick snap, and he, and he you know, I, I take a little flyer on that thing. I th- that may be the safest of a lot to me because I, I think there's a lot of question marks and gray areas and transition um maybe regular season interceptions over uh, over eight and a half where you know the lack of familiarity with wide receivers and in the system and stuff that you know tipped passes may maybe the maybe the interceptions thing uh and the, the rushing touchdowns would be the safest of those two for me well, and especially, too because Tampa Bay has got a lot of protection issues as we know I mean that was yep. you know, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't all the protections fault that Jameis Winston threw 475 interceptions last year, but you know, he was under duress relatively often. And obviously Brady is going to be under the same level of duress, but we're a week removed now from Brady basically saying, you know, well, I'm not going back to new England and winding up here 
with Tampa Bay. New England, it's Brian Hoyer and Jarrett Stidham. And I, and I can't imagine that that's the way that they're going to go into the season here. But right now, it's Stidham and Hoyer, and the Patriots are still the favorites over your beloved Buffalo Bills. Do you think that dynamic changes? Do you think the Patriots wind up actually getting, you know, more proven quarterback? What are you sort of reading into that? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I've seen uh, that both of them were at eight and a half and the Patriots were plus $1.20 and the Bills were minus a dime. What I'm seeing, technically, Buffalo would be the favorite. And I would, I would think, and, and we'll see what ends up happening, but this is a, the Bills had 10 wins last year. And they've had a terrific free agency period of, you know, they got, they got, t- I thought seven was a bad number for them last year. I think eight and a half is a bad number for them this year. I, I think they've gotten markedly better. I, 10 would be the, the floor for me. I, I think it's a 10, 11 win team at least. Now let's talk about the New Orleans Saints for a second here, because, you know, they pick up Emmanuel Sanders and, Drew Brees didn't look great at the end of last year, even though he had missed some time. We figured he'd kind of be fresh in the stretch running into the playoffs and didn't really look all that good late in the year. But now Michael Thomas has somebody that can actually occupy a defensive back because, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's really either fought through double coverage or triple coverage or has had to be the benefactor of somebody like Alvin Kamara, you know, getting some respect from a safety, something like that. Now they get Emmanuel Sanders all of a sudden, and all that money got pumped into Tampa Bay, getting Tom Brady and making some of the other moves that they've made. I mean, to me, Saints minus a dollar twenty-five, minus a dollar thirty to win this division is too cheap, in my opinion. No, I'm on board with that. I I I, I look at some of the division odds. Um, the AFC South's a little squirrely. We can talk about that, but I, I'm with you. I'm actually seeing the Saints at Circus Sports. Minus 105. Well, that's a great number. And uh, the second choice of the Bucks at plus $1.25. The Brady thing is going to be a soap opera. That's going to be cool to watch. And believe me, you'll get the, plenty of chances because you know when the schedule comes out, Tampa Bay is going to be on at least. That'd be a great number. Over under four and a half primetime games for Tampa Bay. You know they're going to do that. But the protection issues, the offensive line, and – you know the running game. I think that it's fair to say there there are question marks about the offensive line uh, and the running game. And then the other thing, and you're not you're not diminishing Brady's legacy in any way, shape, or form, but it remains to be seen how much of that was those two guys, Belichick and Brady, uh, the system approach because it didn't matter. I mean, my God, they win a Super Bowl with Troy Brown playing on both sides of the football. You know, how much of that success for Brady was system and Belichick related? You know, Brady goes on his own, and Arian's a real sharp guy, and he's going to do some cool things with Brady, I would think. But it's it bears watching. I I don't know that it's this automatic. The, The one thing that's different is Brady won't lose games that Winston lost. You know, I mean, you know, Winston had some electric, crazy games, but he also had games that were winnable that he made a horrid decision. But it's a different dynamic. You know, Brady's not mobile like Winston. Uh, everything you said, if the pocket's collapsing around him. But with the Patriots the last couple of years, everything was all this underneath stuff to Edelman anyway. They really, when's the last time you saw Brady throw a pass over the top? 
I mean, he's got guys that can do that now in good, Goodwin and Evans. Yeah, and, and that's the big question. You know, how much is he able to go downfield? How much abuse does he take early on in the year? I mean, you know, he's, he's obviously not a spring chicken, as we all know. You know, does he start to wear down in the back half of the season after, you know, getting hit more often than he was with New England? That's something you got to consider here a little bit, too. And also, I mean, look, the Saints, they thread this needle every offseason where it feels like they don't have any money, and yet they find ways to spend money wisely. They cut guys. They trade guys. They fit in guys like an Emmanuel Sanders. They, you know, give Drew Brees a couple more years. They get Malcolm Jenkins at a pretty good price. They do a lot of really, really smart things. Saints minus 105 is actually an excellent grab that's out there. But, but by the way, buddy, I was real quick. I was just looking, though. I was just, I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, quick, while my internet's still working, I quick, I clicked that. Depth chart. You know, Ryan Griffin is the backup for the Bucks. So have a nice day if, if Brady doesn't stay upright. Preseason superstar Ryan Griffin. He's been very, very good in the exhibition period of the year, but – not a, a whole lot of run during the regular season, which is obviously very, very concerning. Speaking of the NFC South here, you mentioned it off the top of the show here. Cam Newton released by the Carolina Panthers. They couldn't find a trade partner. And of course, with the injury concerns for Cam Newton, and of course, teams not doing physicals right now because of coronavirus and all that, it was going to be an uphill battle to try and find a trade partner for him. He'll find a landing spot. Now it's Teddy Bridgewater and Kyle Allen in Carolina. What is the landing spot for Cam Newton? I mean, where do you see him kind of fitting? Uh, just out of, out of curiosity, I'm pretty sure. Uh, didn't uh, Kyle Allen got traded to the Redskins, didn't he? Oh, did he? Oh, my apologies. No, no, I'm, I, I think. So, yeah, no, it's Bridgewater. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, but, no, so it's Bridgewater. I mean, that's, you know, bottom line is, I mean, you got to the starting point, and so life begins anew, and no riverboat run, and all that stuff. But that, that division, and I would say this, um, Atlanta's a squirrely team, <laughs> you know, uh, Atlanta. I was imp- honestly impressed with Atlanta when their season was complete toast. And you're like, oh, get- they got to get rid of the coach. They got to do it. And they came back after the bye and they didn't go quietly into the night. Um, Atlanta's, you know, I think still marginally interesting. I don't think they're horrific. I like Atlanta. I mean, I yeah. if you gave me like a prop bet of Atlanta to finish higher than Tampa Bay, I, I don't think I would have a hard time making that play. I, I really don't think I would. Even though Tampa Bay is a play on team based off of last year to a degree because they, I mean, they scored 458 points. They were plus nine in point differential, but finished seven and nine. They're kind of a play on team anyway. But I mean, I, I like Atlanta. I, I do. I think there's a lot of really good personnel there. Maybe Dan Quinn now with a second chance or some could argue a third chance. Maybe that winds up working out. Matt Ryan was pretty good last year. If they stay healthy on defense, they're they're a relatively dangerous team. I wouldn't be the least bit shocked if the NFC South goes New Orleans, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Carolina. I, I would not be surprised if Tampa Bay finishes third. Well, the, the Bucks are eight and a half over a dollar forty. Uh, and that's, you know, a lot of steam on on the Brady news. Uh, and the Falcons are seven and a half over a dollar thirty. I mean, it's it's you know, from a starting point at least on paper, it's only a difference of a game. Yeah. What? Maybe Falcons finish higher than Tampa Bay plus two hundred or something. Is that too high? Uh, no, I no, I think you, I think you might might get that because of the, you know, the money if it correlates out the the this love affair with Brady going there. Um, I think they they'd probably hammer that. 
to the point where you'd get plus a dollar seventy-five, a dollar eighty. Transitioning back to the AFC here for a second, I want to ask you about the AFC West. I mean, Kansas City's probably going to win this division again and, and should probably do so without a whole lot of competition. But that being said, a lot of people here over the last few days singing the praises of the Los Angeles Chargers, like what they've done here in free agency, like the idea of giving Tyrod Taylor the keys to this offense. I thought maybe the Chargers would try to take a shot with Jameis Winston, surround him with all the skill position talent, see what happens you know, with an actual running game and backs that can catch the football. But they seem content to go with Tyrod Taylor. So as somebody who's seen a lot of Tyrod Taylor, what do you think about that and the Chargers' futures hopes here? For every game Tyrod Taylor in, he will lose one. I mean, it's that simple. He does a lot of amazing things. Uh, he's electric. He makes plays. He's a water bug. He's just, it's, you know, he's going to make plays with his feet. He's going to win games. But he's he's limited to a degree. Uh, you know, a lot of it's personnel, too. He throws a great deep ball. Uh, there's a lot of good things about Tyrod Taylor. Um, but the lasting memory of Tyrod Taylor for me was the Bills make the playoffs against the Jags in a game where the first score wins the game because both defenses were that good. The Bills have it first and goal at the one. Uh, the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator paid for it with his job. But on first and goal at the one, they throw a fade route. Now, okay, stupid call to begin with, but I think you're making that call saying the quarterback's going to throw it where it's his guy or nobody that's going to catch it. And Taylor got intercepted. What was the final of the game? I don't remember. 10-7? <laughs> you yeah, know. 10-9, 9-7? Yeah, so, something like that. You know, so that's my lasting memory of Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the Chargers have made some pretty decent upgrades on the defensive side, getting a guy, you know, like a, like a Chris Harris, uh, like a Lidball Joseph, stuff like that. But, you know, I, I just – I don't know if Tyrod Taylor is the guy. And, and I have to think – to me, at least well, in my draft, estimation. They're drafting a guy. You know that. This well, is the, yeah. I, I, but t- Taylor Taylor starts. It's the same thing. Where 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 the hell did he go? No, Ty, Tyrod Taylor, right? Started the season. How long did it take until, you know, the guy's looking over his shoulder? How long did it take for Baker Mayfield to get in there? So you're going to be dealing with the exact same thing here. They're going to draft a quarterback, and Taylor's going to have a good game. Then he's going to have a bad game, and you're going to be five games into the season, and they're going to, you know, be two and three or three and two, uh, you know. But if he strings two bad games together, everybody's going to say, "Put the rookie in." I mean, that's this guy's career in a nutshell. So if the Chargers are going to go with Taylor, and and he's going to be, you know, keeping the seat warm for the sixth overall pick, or if they decide to trade up or something like that. Is, is the only landing spot for Jameis Winston down in Jacksonville? I mean, is, is that it at this point? I, I, I haven't read it. I just I, is is he a possibility in New England? I mean, it, it, is it is it Andy? If you're Belichick and you, you trust you know, his judgment, and if you're trusting his judgment, letting Brady go may speak volumes for starters, right? Uh. If you're if you're Belichick, I, I can I can utilize Cam Newton's athleticism and blah 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 and coach him up to the point. This is the dangerous thing, or does he go with the pylonish 
pocket guy and keep running his system with an Andy Dalton type. I, you know, or do they draft a quarterback? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I forget Andy Dalton's just kind of hanging around out there waiting for a job too. I, there are some interesting quarterbacks that are out there on the market that you know, may end up having to go to teams where they're in a quarterback competition or where they're going to wind up being the backup. And that's going to be kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, I think it's smart what the Browns did, getting a guy like Case Keenum to back up Baker Mayfield and, quite frankly, push Baker Mayfield to the point where if Baker's not the guy, they have a competent backup now they can run out there. But you wonder about, you know, Andy Dalton and Cam Newton and Jameis Winston and, like, are, are these guys even going to wind up getting starting jobs? I, it's crazy to think that they might not. Well, the one thing it clearly would do um, is keep their salaries down. I mean, if you're saying, yeah, you're coming in, but you're competing for a job. You know, you're not giving some guy, you know, $18 million a year to come in and get in a quarterback battle in camp. Right. Well, and, I mean, you look at a guy like Marcus Mariota. And then the Derek Carr situation there with the Raiders now. I mean, is that a full-fledged quarterback competition whenever the preseason gets started? I mean, I, do, I do you give Mariota see. that kind of money to, to be a, a, a you know competent backup? I, I don't know. Uh, let me look. I What kind of money? Two years, 17.6, fully yeah. guaranteed first year at seven and a half. Well, I mean, you, you watched last year, right, with the hard knocks thing, what they loved – who was it? Peterman and uh, the big guy used to be with the Bears. Glennon, right? And, and Gruden loves his quarterbacks, right? He, he thinks he can coach him up. And maybe a change of scenery for Mariota works. Maybe it doesn't. I, I, I still think if for all the holes you want to shoot at him, I still think Carr is the better quarterback. Well, and I, I don't remember a free agency cycle like this with such a quarterback carousel. I mean, it's it's kind of fun, you know, because you're going to have some teams that are going to be moving young with the guys that come out in the draft. You're going to have some teams that are, you know, obviously trying to hold on with these o- older quarterbacks like a Brady, like a Breeze, you know, something like that. And then you're going to have some of these other teams that just, you know, Chicago. I mean, you get Nick Foles. Does, does Nick Foles wind up in a quarterback competition with Mitch Trubisky? Probably. You know, what does Pittsburgh try to get somebody in the event that Ben Roethlisberger falls apart again? They better. It's, it's, it's <laughs> very intriguing. It's fascinating. And then, of course, you've got, you know, how much money is Dak Prescott going to command down in Dallas? You know, I don't remember an offseason with this level of quarterback intrigue. And obviously, you know, being able to focus on it more with nothing else going on. Is, yeah, well, that's it. To watch. That's part of it. I think we were so starved for stuff. But beyond that, you tell me. I This was one of, uh, it's the top of the list for me in terms of, unless, you know, maybe maybe it's right in front of my face and I'm going over the top on it. But this was such an impactful free agency period. Uh, just insane. Um, really impactful uh, free agent signings, but deals uh, that I think have massive impact. I um, mean, you know, like I, you know me, I go back, I go back to the Bills. I mean, or first of all, okay, you get Hopkins go Arizona. I mean, what Arizona did via the trade route, uh, what the Bills did getting digs, and people shoot holes. Oh, well, they did this and they did that, and they they gave up all this. What did they give up? You know, basically what they gave up uh, with the whatever it was, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth, I believe, in addition to the one. All that was 
it added up to moving from the 22nd pick. That was the formula to move from the 22nd pick to the 18th pick. And they were drafting a wide receiver with the first pick. So they're sitting there going, we'll take Diggs. He's better than any one of these kids, at least at the moment. So, And that was their glaring need. They didn't give up a lot for him. And they're the only team right now in football that has 2,000-yard receivers on their roster. You know, John Brown had a great year last year, and his game was usually to be the complimentary guy that would go over the top, and he only went over the top two or three times last year. Now, you got these two guys on opposite sides of the field that can actually stretch the field with Beasley wide open underneath. Uh, you know, I mean, that very impactful. That was the Bills' main thing, and they addressed it. And, and, the, and the you know, and they'll probably, their other glaring need, they'll address with the second and third round picks, and, and that's on with their day. I mean, they did, I think it was a great job what they did in free agency, and they're not alone. I think numerous teams did that. One last thing here, and obviously there will still be a lot of moving parts over the course of the summer. We got the draft in a little bit under a month here. And, of course, we don't even know if they're going to play 16 games this year, what the preseason will look like, anything like that. But going into last year, in 15 of the 16 previous NFL seasons, a team went from worst in its division to Uh first in its division. Last year, that didn't happen. Second time in the last 17 NFL seasons. In fact, the same four teams won their divisions in the AFC last year. Uh, two of the same teams in the NFC won their divisions. The 49ers were the closest. They were the third place team in the NFC West. They went four and 12. Then they obviously won the division last year, went 13 and three. I look at the teams that were at the bottom last year, Miami, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, the Chargers, Washington, Detroit, Carolina, Arizona, I don't think any of those teams can win their divisions this year. So I think it's going to be a second straight year of nobody going worse to first. And it's funny too, because I think there's a lot of top heavy parity in the NFC and the AFC for this season, but I think there's a very well-defined bottom too. Uh, I'm looking at it. First I had one. I, I would say if in that scenario, I can only see, Four teams with a shot to be worst of first. The the AFC East is wide open. Uh, the Dolphins, I thought, competed really hard last year. Very aggressive in free agency. And it's it's a wide open division. Brady's not there anymore. Yeah, I think you give the Dolphins, go through them. Give the Dolphins. Could it happen? You know, possibly. You know, the, the favorite in the division is eight and a half. They're six and a half, so the Dolphins are a possible. Bengals, no shot. Uh, Jags, I say no shot. Uh, Raiders, no shot. The NFC East, it's impossible. How many years in a row is it now? It's, the, the, char- it's the, Chargers, the Chargers were 5-11 and 11 in the AFC West. They finished last. They had oh, all those okay. injuries I, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, no shot. <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, is that no shot because you don't? believe in the Chargers or the Chiefs are just that good? Yeah, I think the Chiefs are that good, unless okay. they're, you know, the Super Bowl hangover. But I, 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 yeah, I think the Chiefs, you know, injuries happen, man. I mean, but I, I would say the Chiefs have to fall down to lose that division. The NFC East, we know it's impossible to repeat as a champion. So, you know, right out of the gate there, I, uh, 
Redskins are only projected at five. Uh, I thought they, you know, they had their moments last year. They were the, the one. How about the NFC North? Uh, the, the the Packers, the the Vikings now are going to be uh, run and stop the run. Uh, you know, the Bears, the quarterback situation. The, remember the Lions? But, but and now and all this crap that's going on with everybody, you know, saying stuff about Patricia walking out the door. But if you remember last year, I'm going from memory. Uh, didn't the Lions? They started fast. And they had two. If memory serves, for sure one of the games was the Chiefs. I could punch their schedule up here, but they had games against quality teams. They gave away. They should have won. They blew the Arizona game. I remember that in the opener. They ended up tying, I believe. Yeah, um, they blew the Chiefs game right before the. But they could have been conceivably they could have been four and zero going into the bye, beating Arizona, the Chargers, the Eagles, and the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they were they were right there. And you got Stafford. I maybe I, I don't. Does the anybody in the NFC North? I mean, like, overly wow you? No, Minnesota is going to fall apart. I mean, they lost a lot of pieces on defense. They've lost some pieces on offense. They're kind of in like a sort of rebuild on the fly type of mode. Green Bay was a fraudulent team last year, and Chicago has no idea which end is up. And you know, and maybe maybe I, again, the, the, all the crap they're saying about Patricia and he's trying to be Belichick. You know, maybe Patricia has the come to Jesus moment. Like Tom Coughlin did with the Giants, you know. Okay, that clearly didn't work. I'm not relating with these guys. And maybe this guy lightens up, and he's a smart football coach. I mean, I'm, believe me. I mean, I'm. You're making a case for the Lions here. You're definitely making the glass half full. But I don't think anybody. I think the Packers. Clearly, uh, what I liked with the Packers did last year was shored up a defense and and actually had a running game. So you know, the the Packers. You know, but an inj- an injury to to Aaron Rodgers and that division is throw it up in the air. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the Panthers have no shot now. Obviously, not with the Saints and and the Falcons and Bucks were all much better than them. The Seahawks are going to drop back. The Rams are in process of dropping back. Is there any chance Arizona can be better than San Francisco and win the West? Long shot, but is there a chance? I thought Murray did a lot of really good things uh, as a rookie. Uh, I I thought they were fun to watch. They 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 showed a lot of fight to me. Murray could take a big step forward, and he's got Hopkins now. Uh, you know the, the Cardinals. If 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 I if if I gave you the Cardinals against the other three to not finish in the cellar, what would you do? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think there's a realistic chance that that the Rams are the last place team here. I, yeah, that, 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 that Rams thing, man. Boy, talk and, about and thing. If, talk if about Russell going off Wilson, the tracks. If Russell Wilson got hurt for Seattle, that team might win three games. Yeah. No, he's that good. I mean, he just he just finds ways. He had an like, MVP season last year, man. Let's cut to the chase. Like, I mean, if, if somebody gave me a decent price for the Cardinals to finish second to the 49ers, I'd be ecstatic to take it. I don't know what a decent price is off the top of my head. But, I mean, if, if somebody gave – and there will be a bunch of, you know, make playoffs, yes, no types of props. If somebody gave me a really nice plus number on the Cardinals to make the playoffs, obviously they'd have to do it as a wild card. I don't think I'd shy away from that. Is it really that hard to see the Cardinals being, you know, the sixth highest – record in this conference i don't think so you know sing a show tune or something i'm looking their schedule up. 
I don't know any show tunes. I can't sing either. All right. Let's just see who they play. They're playing the NFC East, it appears. Let's see real quick. Uh, At home they play. Wow, bud. At home, the Cardinals play. Throw the we know the division foes. Their home games are the Eagles, Redskins, Dolphins, Bills, and Lions. They can win some games there, man. Those are winnable, absolutely. Their road games are twice in New York against the Giants and the Jets. Those are winnable. They're at Dallas, tough one. Yeah. Uh, at New England, a lot of question marks. And at Carolina, a lot That's of question winnable. marks. I, that Arizona's, you know, and we all know what that is when you're looking at a schedule. What looks tough today or easy today, you know, how often does that work out? But, I mean, I, I'm not looking at it like uh, like it's a gauntlet, at least at this day. No, it looks, I'm, maybe it's not Charmin soft, but maybe like a quilted <laughs> northern kind of soft. You know, something like that. Um, it all comes back to toilet paper at this day, doesn't always. it? Always. Absolutely. And I am a prima donna about toilet paper. I have to have the good stuff. I, I just I have to. We we, we went to this we went to the store and uh you know, like the long long lines and we're the, the whatever, a couple weeks ago. Two thousand people in a line. It's insane, right? We're going through and I was walking with my wife and, and you know, shuttling you through to the toilet paper line. And I said, boy, is there anybody that's dumb enough to do it? Because no one's got a sense of humor. But, you know, you walk in and you can only get one packet of toilet paper and move on. If some guy went up there and started squeezing them, like in comparison, <laughs> I mean, someone would take, it a ba- take a baseball bat to the guy. I mean, if it's single ply, I would argue I have to buy two of them. Because I, I don't know of anybody that uses single ply unless they're in a public bathroom. So if it's single play, you got to let me buy two of them. I got to double it up, you know. Well, okay. So then, then if you want to cut to the chase, then like when when you're playing a road game and and you're you're in a stall, who designed these things that they were designed for jockeys? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, what I mean, it's like wait a minute. You know, <laughs> I got to pen. Oh, you got to go all the way down just to try to get it out. Well, and then you always get the dilemma like, okay, the handicap stall's open but I don't want to be that guy if somebody who needs it comes in. Buddy, when nature calls. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what, what, what's, what's next? Everybody good? You're going to get the, the handicap placard just to go to the bathroom? Yeah, well, that's fair. I don't know. I try I, not to go. I try not to play too many road games. I, I either got to be neutral site or at home. That's pretty much how I am. But there's, there's you know, there are different, different uh, variations of uh, sense of urgency when it comes to that, so. Is the guy a dirt bag or did he really have to go? Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. All right, from one <laughs> shitty discussion to another here, I guess. Uh, all right, so let's, let, let's talk some horse racing here. We got a lot of stuff that we can get to here talking some horse racing. And uh, look, I mean, for a lot of people, it's the only game in town unless you know how to bet Belarusian hockey or Ukrainian table tennis or Whatever the hell else people are actually trying to bet out there. You know how to bet it. You don't know how to handicap it. That's true. That's very true. So with horse racing, it can be very confusing for a lot of people. And it was confusing for me at the start. I'm kind of learning my way through it now a little bit more, trying to figure a lot of this stuff out. The program can be very helpful. Past performances can be very helpful as well. We'll talk about that here in a couple of minutes. But 
Brian, before we get to that, for people that don't know what they're doing or people that are starting out, maybe starting out with a very limited bankroll because, you know, they're just trying to find things to do and, and not go broke doing it. What are some of the bet types that you suggest? You know, we've got win. That's pretty obvious. Place, finishing second. Show, finishing third. Win, place, and show. Exactas, trifectas, you know, betting the, the top two, the top three, stuff like that. What do you sort of suggest to people that are kind of just starting out with horse racing? Well, I would just say as a blanket statement that before we start doing this, four hours isn't enough. All right. There's that much. And I'm being dead honest. Um, What I would say, what I do, which that's me, is, is bet to win in place. And if, you know, if your horse runs second virtually every time, unless the horse is even, you know, three to five or even money. If you bet a two to one or a five to two horse, you bet win in place. As long as the horse you bet runs second, you're at the very least getting your money back. Okay. I mean, so that there, I mean, from a philosophical thing, and if the horse is seven to two, four to one, you'll actually make money betting win in place. You'll make a little if the horse runs at least second. That that would be you know the the from a stick your toe in the water thing like right out of the gate that would be my recommendation if you're just going to start clowning around with it a little bit until you you get a, a level of comfort bet win in place so you're you're giving yourself a chance that even if the horse doesn't win the race you're getting a chance to get your money back a better chance to get your money back that, that's a starting point does that make sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and especially, too, because, I mean, you know, you're obviously trying to find the horse as you sort through the program or the daily racing form or whatever. You're trying to find a horse you think can win the race. And, and sometimes things happen. You know, sometimes a horse has a late close but just doesn't have enough to get there. Maybe he got bumped out of the starting gate. Maybe just kind of stumbled a little bit at the start, something like that. But you're you're trying to find a horse that you feel like can run at the front of the pack when all is said and done. And if they don't win things kind of happen. So at least you give yourself kind of a safety net with finishing second. Pretty much that, that works. And you know, and then you, then you can tinker with exactas and uh, trifectas. Obviously, you know, you're trying to bet toothpicks to win a lumber yard. That, the, the one, and the other thing I would say, just generally speaking, coming in and guys that have been doing this forever. And I was guilty of this for a lot of years. And then I'm like, idiot, what are you doing? I mean, if you're reading a form, and you're like everything sets up for this horse, and the horse is the horse is six to five or eight to five, and he's the favorite. But you're sitting there going, I think the horse should be three to five. He, you know, he towers over this. Or you're convinced, even if the horse is the favorite, I'm telling you, I, the percentage of people that are out there, or the, the people that regularly play horses, it's a grind, right? But they're they're out there going, and, and this is the word they use in the book. I could beat the prick. <laughs> you know, I'm going to beat him. I can, I'm going to try to beat him. Well, but it's the same guy that had bet $110 to win a hundred bucks on a football game. And the line's minus three, right? I mean, it's basically a coin flip, you know, to, to win even money on a football game, that it's the game that's on TV. And honestly, you're throwing a dart, but you'll do it. 
But the same guy will sit there, I'm going to beat this horse. When the horse is a plus price. We, we go nuts in a hockey game. Oh, man, the horse was plus. I bet that hockey team, they were plus $1.30. And you're sitting telling me in, in a minute and 12 seconds, I, and I'm convinced the, you know, the horse is going to win at 8-5? to five. I'm going to try to beat it? Don't be afraid. To, and the favorite only wins 33% of the time. Know that. But at the same time, you don't have to hit the home run in every race. If you're convinced that a horse uh, as the favorite is the best horse and, and you think it's his day, bet it. So before we get really technical into looking at the program, looking at the past performances in the sheets, stuff like that, I just want to ask you some general questions here, things that have kind of crossed my mind as somebody trying to get better at betting horses, as somebody who's going to go to the track in the summertime with 100 bucks, drink four beers on a 75-degree day, and enjoy watching the horses, or somebody who's going to be a degenerate at home while there's no sports and sit there and play on my TVG account. If I'm looking at a horse and the horse has a different jockey, doesn't have to be a first-time jockey necessarily, but there has been a jockey change relative to previous races. How do you interpret that? Does that kind of make you shy away from the horse? I have done seminars with uh, for the Derby, the Breeders' Cup, uh, with some big name people that, that are in the in the, in the industry, and there everybody's got their own mo. And yeah, you need the engine under the hood, but believe me, yeah, you know, the Breeders' Cup. Oh, you know, some guy won four races on the card. You know, jockeys like the horses get hot. The jockey matters. Now, I will tell you, I've made more money. My favorite jockey currently is Junior Alvarado. Well, Junior Alvarado won, went down and won the Risen Star down at Fairgrounds, and I think the horse paid 24 bucks. Uh, you can print money with Junior Alvarado on the turf in the New York racing circuit. And when I see Junior Alvarado get on a horse for the first time, I'm convinced of this. I've had people fight me on this, and they're wrong. When, when Junior Alvarado gets on a horse for the first time, and there are many guys like him, but when Junior Alvarado gets on a horse for the first time, and what train? See again, we could do this for four hours. You're trying to be a shrink. You're trying to say, what is the trainer doing here? Where has the trainer placed the horse? What change has the trainer made to give his horse the shot to take a step forward in winter race? Blinkers on, blinkers off. First time Lasix, second time Lasix. Does he make a jockey change? If I see a guy, for argument's sake, like Junior Alvarado, who's a 22, 23% rider, and he's jumping on a horse for the first time, and the guy who previously had been riding the horse for the last six races, the guy's a 7% rider, how much further than you, I mean, it's right in front of your face. The guy's a better jockey. The horse has a better shot because he's got a better jockey. And a lot of people just thumb their nose at that. Now, when you say a 22% jockey, that means win rate, correct? Yes. And and the other thing is, like, when you look at apprentice riders, and and any jockey that's in a race, when you're using the form of the Brisnet thing, uh, you know, it's got the jockey stats. Um, You know, so uh, here, if we're going to dive into a certain race, Luis Saez is a terrific rider. Uh, Now, they they actually, uh, they're making you do the math on this Brisnet thing. (laughs) <laughs> the percentage is not there. I've told you I'm a creature of the daily racing. But in 479 mounts, Luis Saez is 195 times. Well, okay, so it's great to say, oh, yeah, he's a 20-some percent rider. 
But but beyond that, you look, he ran second 72 times, and he ran third 62 times. So uh, what's that, 168? So, so literally, more than half the time when a jockey like Luis Saez at Gulfstream Park is riding a horse, more than half of every time he t- gets on the back of a horse, he's in the money. So it's not just do they win, is he always giving you a run for your money? That's a big part of it, too. For what it's worth, exact math on that, 19.8% win rate, 47.8% getting on the board in the top three for Saez. And obviously, too, I mean, you know, you sort of want to look through the rest of the jockeys in in that particular race and say, okay, well, Luis Saez isn't going up against Julian Leperu. He's not going up against Joel Rosario. You know, that, those guys aren't in that race. Oh, so you've got to think that probably helps him out a little bit. Let me tell you something. To go back to your initial question, and again, I ain't kidding you, Adam. I mean, I, I ain't even close to joking with you. We can sit here for another five hours and scratch the surface on things you, you can look for. I mean, it's, you're reading them, you know. <laughs> you're, you're, there's a lot of stuff to dissect here. But I will tell you, some of the biggest money-making days I've had are – the Derby, uh, the Belmont, the Preakness, the Breeders' Cup, playing the other tracks because the best jockeys in the jockey colony at all these tracks have all vacated the premises to go to Churchill Downs on Derby Day and race on the undercard. And all of a sudden, if you're saying a, a, a middle-tier journeyman or a quality rider that maybe for whatever reason just didn't have a Derby mount that year, and for argument's sake, if a junior Alvarado uh, is left behind in New York, and the Ortiz brothers, uh, in in you know two or three or four of the really high end jockeys that usually get, because the jockey agent's the the most important guy in all of this. The jockey agent's the guy that puts puts his guy on the best horse. Those are the guys you got to know what they're doing. But when the best jockeys vacate the premises, and now all of a sudden. I got a guy like I keep I'm using him as an example, but I got a junior Alvarado going against a batch of eight and nine percent jockeys that win occasionally. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, he's going to outride these guys probably more than half the time, and he's left behind, but he's going to have a field day weekend. And, and I swear that on the big days, the money's can also be made at the tracks that aren't staged in the big races because there's a, a there's a solid jockey or two that's been left behind in the wake of the guys that departed the premises. Now, obviously, too, a lot of people like to look at the names and, you know, maybe they're with their significant others and, and they want to bet based on name and stuff like that. But something that's always there along with the name is the sire and the dam, which are the parents of that horse. How much do you factor bloodline into the equation as you're looking through the handicap of a race? Massive. At the beginning of last summer, um, Tony Neville at Treasure Island, the sportsbook director, great guy, loves horse racing. He and I will be looking for derby futures and clown around and, and find horses and call each other. And it was, it didn't take, it didn't take two weeks. And he spots stuff and calls me. Well, I spotted one, I mean, at the very beginning of the year, the two-year-old crop comes out. And this happens every year. So all of a sudden, there's a new crop of new sires that just finished their racing and have gone to the breeding shed. And I saw three in a row it happened. And I, and I said to Tony, I said, Bud, 
I think we got something here. I said, uh, any first-time starter being sent to post, I don't care where they are, sired by into mischief, they run like reindeer. They, they are just, they're bred to win early. They're running, they're rocket sleds. It's incredible. Buddy, I, I am not kidding you. We hit at least, at least 20, 25 horses, first-time starters over the summer, that entire summer, starters by into mischief. Ended up being. I don't have it in front of me. If you look, if you look that up, it was into mischief. Maybe, maybe was the top freshman sire. So yes, it does it matter? The the, the answer is yes. Um, there are turf hor- horses that are bred for the slop, hor- uh, sires that were you know turf monsters in their progeny. Uh, uh, all the uh, kittens joy horses uh, are uh, they're bred by Ken and Sarah Ramsey. You're nuts not to use them if you're playing exactas and tries. Any turf race, a horse sired by Kitten's Joy. So, yes, it's massive. Yeah, and I've seen that, too, you know, going to the local track here at Thistledown, where anytime the sire is a derby horse or any kind of triple crown horse or something like that, it almost doesn't matter. They wind up getting bet at least to the second favorite, if not the favorite in that race, just because of the bloodline. So if you do pick up some names that you know, you know, from previous derby races or something like that, definitely worth considering, to say the least. How about this one? How about track changes? How about horses that have kind of bounced around to different places? For example, we're looking at the sixth race here at Gulfstream Park on Wednesday. That's what we've got up on the program here. Horses that have run at, you know, like, let's say, Keeneland, or horses that have run previously at Churchill Downs or Del Mar or something like that, And now they're at Gulfstream Park. And in particular, maybe for a first or second race at Gulfstream Park. What does that mean to you when horses have kind of bounced around to different tracks? Uh, It used to be uh, my favorite betting angle, and it doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, They call it Gulfstream Park West now. It's old Calder Racecourse. And... uh, basically Gulfstream Park has kind of taken over that entire circuit. There's there's shorter meets, and it's a real cheaper horses on the Florida circuit that race there. But Calder used to be, you know, right there with Gulfstream Park in the winter. And it was a deep, cuppy, it was was almost, like, relatively speaking, like racing in quicksand. The times weren't fast. And I'm telling you, Adam, I would sit there, and every day, the first thing I'd look for uh, in the summer months is a horse racing at Aqueduct, or is he racing at Parks, or is he racing at Laurel, or you know, or did a, did a horse go to Churchill Downs? But the horse's last race it was was at Calder. These horses, after racing at Calder, would go to other tracks, win by the length of a stretch at fifteen to one. Yeah, because because they they left this deep cuppy surface and then went to a place that was shaved down to the nub. So. Your point is, yes, there's a, a sneaky track in the summer months, Presque Isle Downs in Erie. Well, it's a synthetic surface, and but the purses are through the roof because they've got slots there. So even though it looks like a nothing burger, you think it's a nothing burger thing, A, the racing's really good there, but the quality of the horses that are there because they're racing for overlaid ridiculous prices, when horses go to from Presque Isle to Churchill Downs, you know, in the beginning when Prescott opened, people thought, oh, the horse came from Prescott. I'm like, no, you should be thinking the other way. Oh, my God, the horse came from Prescott. 
Those were good horses that were there. So you absolutely look for stuff like that. And what a $5,000 claimer is at Parks isn't a $5,000 claimer at Laurel. So there's different tiers with the pay structure and the purse structure. Again, and we've got about four hours left. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense. You know, I look at number two in the sixth race, and that's Kiffel, who ran at Thistledown over the summer, then went to Mountaineer when Thistledown's season was over, now running for the second time at Gulfstream Park, spent last spring, it looks like, at Oaklawn. But that's a horse that if it came back to Thistledown in the summertime, I'm right. going to go, ooh, okay. You know, that was running at Gulfstream Park in the, in, you know, in the spring. So th- th- does that make, I mean, is that something you want to look at? Because I would assume if you're running at Gulfstream or Oaklawn or Santa Anita or Del Mar or something like that, all of a sudden you find yourself at Thistledown, you've probably been running against better crops of horses, right? So we'll see in, in, I, 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 you know, buddy, I, honestly, like this race, we're looking at race six on March 25th at Gulfstream Park. The first, the starting point, we didn't even, the, the starting point are what are the conditions of the race? It's an optional claiming allowance race, all right? And the conditions are, this is, you know, for fillies and mares, four-year-olds and up, which have never won $10,000 twice other than a maiden claiming starter or straight bread allowance, I, and, and, and the condition goes on and on and on. It's like, What? I mean, you're reading that. Somebody's reading that for the first time going, what the hell are you talking about? You know, so the trainer for the horse you're talking about, who is, I believe, the co-longest shot on the board at 12 to 1, Kiffel, the trainer is Bob Hess. So he has 78 races at the Gulfstream meet. He sent 78 horses to post in the Gulfstream meet. This is just a horse in his barn, Right. Now, he's probably got a lot better horses that are there and are running and they're competing. And this could be a horse that on February 27th, he raced in the tur- on the turf there, uh, finished fifth. He throws them back in this race. And this could be just another race. D- 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 take a shot, sure. You know, you hope you can cash a-, cash a number. The horse hits the board and they make a little money and feed the horse. But pat- particularly this horse... It could be if he's got 15 horses in his stable, this could be number 13, you know, in terms of the quality of the horse. But this race could be nothing more than, hey, from here, Bob Hess, when this meet's over, he's going to go to, I don't know, uh, he, he, uh, he's not, but say he's, say he's going to Laurel, right? Well, the horse maybe competes in, in subsequent races down the road. This is this is this race could be nothing more than a glorified workout for this horse because the races he really can compete in are when the when the trainer leaves here and moves his barn somewhere else. Well, and this too, I mean, this is a horse that hit the board a lot at Thistledown and Mountaineer. So, you know, again, when it comes back to those places, maybe that's a good opportunity. Exactly. To take a shot on exactly. So, so yeah. So when, if this horse ends up going back to Thistle, uh, all of a sudden, no, this horse is twelve to one. Uh, on the morning line. But when this horse goes back to Thistle, you know, this horse is probably five to two morning line. And something else we didn't mention here. Now, we'll start digging into the program now. And again, I, I know we're going to run along with this. I apologize. If you got something to do, tell me to shut yeah, up. We'll, well, I mean, I'm going to take a bite of something here. Go ahead. We'll, we'll finish this a little bit later on. But uh, six furlongs, you know, distance, very important because you'll run into a race where it's, you know, one and one sixteenth miles. And, the horse has never done that before. 
or you'll run into a race like this that's six furlongs where you know even the first horse who's eight to one mischief moss has run a couple of one mile races you know the last race for kiffel on turf one and one sixteenth miles said it weakened later in the race the three horse that's run a lot of six furlong races on down from there so the distance is important to take a look at too yeah all right so this race for argument's sake seven horse field this is what i would normally do and since we have nothing but time on our hands <laughs> all right now this is brisnet and i no knock on them i'm a creature of the racing form where i can look at i could literally i can two horses in this field could be going to the gate i could look at the form scan through it and form an opinion and 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 I tell and honestly it's how i handicap which sounds nuts but to me, I do it almost by design unless I'm playing pick threes and pick fours. Because my when I'm reading the form right, my first reaction or first impression is I'm right more often than not. And the more I stare, it's, the more I'll overthink it and try to make a case for something that isn't there. And that's why the big days are so hard. A, you can make a case for eight horses in a 12-horse field, and B, you're overthinking it. But a race like this, I would grab, I would grab the form and I look one mischief mass eight to one, uh, second race off the claim coming off a layoff with a bug rider horse comes from off the pace. Kiffel the two 12 to one, uh, speed when routing and while sprinting second race off the shelf going turf to dirt three just ain't right. Eight to one second race off the shelf. Also going turf to dirt. This horse stalks comes from just off the pace. Uh, Pretty good workouts. Four, Blazing Betsy, uh, real inconsistent horse. Can't stay on the racetrack. Something's physically wrong with this horse. He, 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 the horse can't string races together. The five's the big favorite. Nine to five, leads a start. This horse gets the lead, a clear lead. The race is over, but it's coming off the shelf. Works for the return. The six, day by day, has tactical speed. Sits just off the five. And then the seven, this one has won three in a row. Uh, also coming off the shelf, but has won races from off the shelf by open lanes. So now, real quick, I look at it. I think the five gets the lead, but the two could conceivably go, press the five into a pace duel. The six would get first run at the favorite, and the one, if there's a prolonged speed duel, the one with the best closing kick at nine to two is the seven, flat awesome Jenny. Paco Lopez has the mount. I really like the works for the seven. If the five gets the lead right out of the gate, my race is done. If the two or the six presses the five, to me, the race is set up for the seven. I would bet the seven to win in place. There you go. That's what I would do. So basically what you're looking at there, and again, there are obviously a lot of numbers, a lot of things going on when you talk about the program and the past performances. You're basically looking at the basically the quarter marks of is it in the lead? Is it at the front? If it's slow early out of the gate, does it progressively get better? And those are those numbers, you know, going towards the left of where the jockey's name is, where it's the post position, kind of how it started out of the gate, quarter, half, so on and so forth. So that's kind of what you're looking at. You're sort of looking at the progression of the horse over the course of the race. Yeah, I mean, I'm when I'm looking at the form, I'm playing the race out in my head. Okay, the gate opens, the five's going to the lead. Does the two go with them? Uh, and the six just sits just off, off the two and the five. Then the jockey on the six has to make a decision at the quarter pole. Did the two go 
with the five. And if it's going to press the five, I'll sit. If the two doesn't go with the five, then the six realizes its only shot is to take that shot to go and press the horse. So it's the old adage, pace makes the race. If the five gets the clear lead, now the horse is out there doing it all on his lonesome all by himself. Jockey gets the horse to relax. And then when the serious running begins, when they turn for home, he pushes the button and the horse keeps going. But if the five is in this prolonged battle, bobbing heads, you know, bumping along into the first turn and is exerting all this energy to get the lead, which is the horse's preferred running style, it's exerting all this energy uh, because it's in a battle. And then the, the, the horse, the, the five gets the chance to relax and take a breather if it gets a clear lead. If it doesn't, it's in a battle. The horse that's the stalker can take a breather and sit right behind them. And if that battle ends up being a three-horse battle, then the one that's preferred running style is every time this horse goes to the track, it's just going to go at the back in stage one big run. And then it's what did the pace scenario play out? Who does it benefit the most? You're, you're trying to envision the race as you're reading a piece of paper you're you're closing your eyes and saying this is how it will run. I mean, I, it, 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 that's long winded, man. But that that's basically it. No, I, I completely get it. And and for our listeners out there, I'm going to put a link to this program in the uh, podcast recap over at bangthebook.com. So you can check that out. Follow along with this as we're talking about it. Just rewind the segment. Probably should have mentioned that off the top. So I apologize for that. But I will put a link in the recap. Uh, over at bangthebook.com. So I guess my question is this. I'm going to tell you, I would bet the seven. Okay. But the seven's going to take a lot of money because Paco Lopez is in there. The, the, the sneaky horse in the race. And you can't give them all. But I do think that there will be, the, the two or the six will have to go with the five. They realize it's their only chance. They They can't let the five get the lead. And if the battle ensues, I like the seven. Now, the, the only question with the seven is this horse can't stay at the races either. It's consistently coming off layoffs. So I don't, you know, if the horse has foot problems or, or whatever, the sneaky horse is the one. Mischief Moss. This is another one that's, now this one has not raced since last May. And how horses do off a long layoff, I see in the daily racing form, they would have a little category underneath with little really useful things that would give you the trainer is uh, Monica McGoey. And I got to be honest with you, I have never heard of Monica McGoey. Not hit, I mean, pretty good. 33 races, 3-2-4, win, play, show. But... They will give you the trainer's record with horses off a long layoff because a lot of, you know, they could have them ready to fire or a trainer by design, the horse needs a race, and it's the last part of a a workout regimen. Uh, But this horse is interesting because it gets a bug rider, uh, Alberto Burgos aboard, who's okay, nothing, no great shakes. But at this level, the caliber of horse they're not that great. All the other horses are carrying 121 pounds. This is a bug rider at Gulfstream Park. So the kid's getting a break in weight. This horse is only carrying 114 pounds. And believe me, the seven pounds makes a difference. Uh, it's 
So the one is a sneaky, real good price play that if, if I were using pick threes in this race, I'd eliminate the two, I'd eliminate the three, I'd eliminate the four. If I was going to play a pick three down the road in a race like this, I would absolutely use the one. I, w- I would tell you that. I'd use the one. The chances I believe that can win this race are the one, five, six, and seven. So I've eliminated the two, three, and four. And that's another thing. You know, can, can scratch some off. Okay, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I've eliminated those horses. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If it just kind of makes the process a little bit easier to, to just cross horses off right away and then, you know, kind of focus a little bit more on the ones that you think have a really good shot. So yeah, and I, one other little thing, and again, you tell me, man, I, I, I don't we can do this every day of the week. But what I would say to you, if you want a, a way to really make a make a score is if you're handicapping your aces, like I was saying, oh, I got the nine to five horse. I, I, I just don't see any way this horse loses a race. A way to do it is go two races back and, all right, I'm going to put a pick three together. And I'm gonna, you're looking at a race with nine horses and you're going, oh, my God, any one of these horses can win or this is wide open or I think this, fo- this favorite's phony. I'm taking a real stand against the favorite in this race. You can make a real hit when you hit the all button and the first leg of a pick three and just hope that a long shot wins because you're saying, boy, this is a brutal race to handicap. If it's hard for me, it's hard for everybody else. Anything can win this race. And you get a 15 to 1 in the first leg of the pick three. And then you come into the middle race and, okay, I narrowed it down between these two. All right. Yeah. It's, it's, I like this horse. He's a kind of chalky. And here's my long shot play. And you hit all with two horses with the horse you absolutely love in the third leg of that thing. And you hit the all button. If, if say, uh, say it was nine horses in the first race, two in the second, and the horse you love in the back end, a dollar pick three would be nine times two would cost you eighteen dollars. A fifty cent pick three would cost you nine dollars. But you could get a price to the moon on the favorite horse you like if a long shot wins in the race you couldn't figure out. I mean that's a that's a that's a math uh, money management kind of thing. Instead of betting. Instead of betting 20-20 on a horse that I love, I could bet $18 on the pick three, and by the time you get to that and you look at the will pays on the pick three if you're alive, that the $20 was going to get you $40 back if the horse was even money, but the pick three could be paying $350 because an 18-to-1 shot won two horse races back. So there, you, you got to handicap math, the math and the money management part of it too. Honestly, man, I, I got to say I love this. I, I love being able to talk horse racing. Yeah, it's a market that I'm getting increasingly more familiar with, but I've always enjoyed it. I enjoy the study. I enjoy the research, which is why I'm you know such a big baseball guy. Um, this is fun, man. This has been fun. I've appreciated your breakdown. I apologize for taking up so much of your time here today. but uh, Buddy, I'll like, miss my radio you- shows if we keep going. Because <laughs> we, we're not even close. I mean, we there's... You know, we get, we get, we got another eight hours. Pick it up again next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, it is one of the true joys of of it because we're all you know. It is bottom line. Do you win? It is my uh, horse racing is my true source of enjoyment. Like if I had nothing but time on my hands, I could sit down and play horses from nine in the morning till nine at night, and I do that on weekends. I mean, and, and 
yeah, I'm trying to make money. I love the challenge of it. I mean, it, you are literally, it's a Rubik's Cube. It's an entertaining Rubik's Cube. You're trying to figure it out. And, and as, as much as it is about making the money, it's the, it's the source of enjoyment of trying to solve the puzzle. Yeah, that, that's what I get out of it, too, you know, is, is being able to, to solve that puzzle. And, you know, obviously want to want to win as much as I can. But, you know, it, it is fun. I mean, it's a, it's a different thing to take a look at. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, a lot of studying for a race that lasts, you know, a minute and a half or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's it's something hey, good to pass the time now with everything that's going on and good opportunities, too. We, you know, we've done we've done trips. You know, we got we're going to go to Del Mar, you know, in the summer. And, you know, they're, they're, they're lining up for the, you know, the fifth race and the ocean in the distance and I, and like, and everybody's like, where's Brian? Well, Brian's up on the, Brian's up at the top of the grandstand watching a simulcast monitor, watching the fourth race at Evangeline Downs. (laughs) I mean, you know, I was like, I I can't get enough of it. Well, uh, you want to continue this discussion next Tuesday? Maybe we take another look at the, uh, at the Gulfstream Wednesday card. Sure, man. All right. Sounds good to me. Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. I don't know if you talk a whole lot of horse racing uh, on Sportsbook Radio. You talk a lot of hockey on Vegas Hockey Hotline. No, in fact, Tony Neville uh, was in last week. And the the irony of it is we we had talked about this last week, that horse racing, we could do something along the lines of what you just did is more, hey, new people are paying attention to it. And it was almost we were almost going to be maybe kind of doing the same sort of thing today uh, on Sportsbook Radio. It just kind of happened, worked out that way that we did it too. And you know, I mean, how am I going to do that in twenty minutes? But with him, but we're gonna we're gonna have some fun. Bruce Marshall will be on Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're soldiering on. Bill Foley was on with us last week. Uh, got the owner's perspective uh, to yesterday. Kelly, you can go on my Twitter, Brian Blessing, Kelly McCrimmon. Really interesting conversation with the Golden Knights general manager joined us yesterday about the challenges that the uh, organizations are facing because the calendar year is all messed up now. They can't be uh, – it's hard for them in terms of scouting prospects and the challenges that all the GMs are facing in this uncertain time. And you know what, bud? And, and he said when he came on, like when I was leading into him, he goes, and you know, he goes, what you were – I don't know exactly exact, exact words, but he said, but the playoff what you were saying, you're right, is that – some organizations are going to deal with this adversity better than others. You know, some teams are going to get it right. Some teams are going to fail miserably with their scouting department and, and the way this thing's been derailed. So that was a, it was a really interesting conversation with the Golden Knights general manager, Kelly McCrimmon. That's at sportsbookradio.com. And we're still clowning around having some fun with Cam Stewart on the Hockey Betting Podcast uh, I put that out on my Twitter account at Brian Blessing, and it's also available at betchriscanada.net. So we're we're finding, as if you didn't find a new way for me to kill time today, we got, we got God bless sports, right? <laughs> Even though we don't have it, there's still stuff we talk about, and we love doing it. Absolutely, man. We're definitely keeping busy here, and I appreciate you keeping me busy here for a good long period of time on the show and for our listeners as well. Again, Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. I appreciate your time every single week, man. It means the world to me. I love these segments. Thank you so much for doing them with me. And we'll talk some more horse racing next week. And you know what we should do, and I know you do, is is thank the people that listen because we we do, you know, it means something to us, right? We we get a lot of nice feedback on social media from people that listen. And I, we probably 
probably put them through a buzzsaw today as long as we went. But do we thank the people that uh, listen because we enjoy doing it. Absolutely. Thank you to everybody that's out there. And thank you once again to you, Brian. Brian Blessing. We'll chat again next week, buddy. Have a good day. All right, there you go. There's Brian Blessing and at Brian Blessing on Twitter, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com to get his two daily shows. No show tomorrow for us on Bang the Book Radio. I'll be back on Thursday with a new edition of the Betters Box. What was supposed to be opening day, unfortunately, is not. But I'll come up with some good baseball betting information and insight for you on that program. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Thursday.